Today is the end of our series upon Colossians. Now, do not fear, I don't want to get us into a doldrums coming up to Christmas. We'll be back with a new series in the new year. I know that you would have been, that's why. Um, we're going to be looking at the sequel to the series that we've done uh, for about the last few years. Anyone guess what that might be? Act, very good. <laughs> well, yeah, that would have been a kind of sequel. Um, but we'll go for the other one, which is we looked at Luke for a number of years. We've had a break for Colossians. We're going back to Acts, which is Luke's next, the next installment. So uh, that's going to be great. But today is the last uh, sermon in our Colossians series. Now, uh, for those of you who've been with us uh, for the last few months, I think we started this in September or so. Um, just want you just encourage you to cast your mind back uh, over the sermons you've heard, over the passages and verses within this uh, great letter from Paul to the Colossian church. I just ask you, uh, I'm not going to have a show of hands or uh, feedback on this, just to think uh, through what are the passages or the verses or the ideas or the teachings that have really struck you uh, in this book as your minds are whirring. I guess just to say that there could be a whole load of different things. This, this uh, uh, letter's been full of very kind of rich, say, theological passages, passages that tell us stuff about God. So passages like, uh, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Talking about Jesus, passages like that, like they imprint on your mind. It could be things like that. Um, could be some of the very important practical wisdom we've seen in this book of the Bible on how we live, instructions for parents and kids and wives and husbands and workers and bosses, instructions on how to pray and how to witness and all of that sort of stuff. And I really hope there are, there'd be some things you go away from this thinking, you know what, God spoke to me about one thing, he spoke to me about that during this series. And those things, we need to store those away, we need to think those through, it's not just they disappear in the week after. Uh, and we need to hold on to those. But even with that said, it would be a shame to pick up on individual things from the book of Colossians and finish the series without really getting a, a capturing the tone of this whole book, this tone of this letter from Paul to the Colossian church. And in the closing passage that we're going to look at today, I think the tone that we've seen all the way through this letter comes to the forefront a bit. And I really want to bring that out uh, today. And uh, I guess actually this is where I was all, all week preparing away. I've been looking for this desperately, like, where's the Christmas link in this talk? I, I know it's kind of the 18th. I know you guys, we started with a carol. I mean, it's all, all going that direction. And fortunately, it was reasonably straightforward in that respect, because the tone here as we finish this book is the tone of family. It's what we see at the end of Colossians. There's a real family feel to things. And of course, I don't think it's a massive shoehorn to say, well, Family and Christmas fit together. Guys, does that work? <laughs> well, anyway, whether it does or not, I'll come to possible problem with that in a minute. But there's a family feel uh, in this book. And uh, as I just mentioned, I, I, while that could be, yes, my Christmas thing done there, um, I think I, I'm not going to want to push that link too much because actually, while family, Christmas is a time for many of us where it is a time where we see family, wider family, probably. Yeah, just like those shaking and flickering like that. It's just kind of ominous really but anyway um as well as the time for many of us where we spend time with family I think family at Christmas as a kind of paradigm of family is and I'm sure many of us agree is not really the it's not the epitome of all that's good about family often <laughs> and it's certainly not the image that Paul wants in mind so while family and Christmas collide in some ways maybe Christmas family not so much and I'll explain what I mean I you you may be very different to me in this but I guess when when I go to see family at Christmas we don't go with a great purpose 
purpose in mind, okay? I wonder if there's any of you that you turn up on, say, Christmas Eve and go, guys, here you go, here's the, here's the shovels, Let, let's get the patio done by Boxing Day. <laughs> Maybe some, I don't know, but that's not what we do. Let, let's build a shed or let's do this. We, it tends to be family gatherings at Christmas are in, in a sense purposeless in that they, you don't meet together to do something, do we? There could be different, different things. Now obviously, there's a purpose, rest, relaxation, honoring each other, catching up, all of those things. But in, in that sense, we're not, it, Christmas family is about being family. It's not about family doing anything. And uh, I think that's where the, there's a, a dissonance with the Christmas family image because actually, as we see at the end of this book, there is a very much a family feel at the end of Colossians. But for Paul, that family sense is family on a mission. It's family with a job to do. And what I'd like to do today, just as we finish this book, is explore those two strands. Family and mission. Two things that often I think people think clash and pull in tension. But as we see, Paul doesn't have that idea at all. He, he sees family and mission as two things that feed each other. And that's the tone. The tone at the end of this book is family on a mission. So let's turn to the passage. It's in Colossians 4. Uh, it's, I'm going to start verse 7 uh, right to the end, which is in verse 18. Okay, This is what Paul Uh, says, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you've received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. So if you're familiar with Paul's letters, this is often how his letters end. And what he does is he highlights a number of individuals and groups that he wants to uh, give a uh, greet or introduce to the people that he's written his letter to. So very quickly to run through just to break this down, really. There are three kind of groups he highlights here. Firstly, he highlights the people that he has sent to Colossae. Paul is in prison, probably in Rome. Okay, Epaphras, who's mentioned in a minute, comes to Paul to say, hey, there's some problems at the Colossian church. Probably this is what happened anyway. And then Paul goes, okay, I'll write this letter. Now, as it turns out, he doesn't send Epaphras back. No one knows why. But he sends, who does he send? He sends Tychicus and Onesimus back. And they're the guys who take the letter. He's not sending this letter by FedEx or something like that. He's not sending it on a carrier pigeon. He actually has to give the letter. Remember, there were days like this once for us that some of us might remember to someone and they have to take it somewhere. Okay, And that's what happens. And Tychicus and Onesimus are those guys. So he says, look, these guys are coming. They're good guys. Okay? Tychicus is just one of Paul's mates that appears every now and again in the New Testament. Okay? A bit like a lesser Timothy or Barnabas or Silas. They're his kind of mates that are normally there. Tychicus is there, particularly the end of Paul's life. 
Onesimus is a fascinating character. He's actually a runaway slave who ran away from someone in the Colossian church, probably nicking some of their money, and became a Christian and then became one of Paul's close friends. And he's coming back to bring the letter, but also to make up with his old slave master Philemon. And if you want to know about that interesting story, go to the book of Philemon in the New Testament. But those are the guys who are taking the letter, okay? So they're the first group. Secondly, Paul sends greetings from those who are with him, presumably in Rome, helping him out while in prison, but who couldn't make the trip. And he splits the group into two. There are three Jewish guys there, and there are three Gentile or Greek guys there. So you've got Aristarchus, Mark, and this guy Jesus, who's called Justice. They are Jews, men of the circumcision, it says. And Epaphras, who I've mentioned. Luke, who you know what, Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke and Acts, that we'll come back to after Christmas. Uh, He's there with him, and Demas as well. So you've got Jews and Greeks with him. So he says, look, These guys greet you as well. And thirdly and finally, uh, Paul singles out these groups and individuals in Colossae that he wants to say a big hello to. And so he says, first of all, the church in Laodicea. Laodicea is like 10 miles down the road from Colossae. So they're their mates. They're like neighbors. Okay, so he's saying hello to them. Uh, Nympha and the house church that she hosts. So a lady who's got a big house that uh, either... kind of cell group from the church or another house church meets in. Hard to tell exactly how those fit together, but she's in the mix. And then at the end, you've got this exhortation for Archippus. Kind of go for it, Archippus. Do what God's called you to do. Come on, mate. Uh, in that kind of, kind of feel. And so that's kind of the essence of what he does. So it's funny, I, I talked to a Rich Pitt this week. And I was saying, oh, you're finishing off Colossians this week. So you're dealing with the admin, are you, Johnny? <laughs> it's like, and I think the picture here, what he was saying was, you've got, Paul's got all his important stuff out of the way. And he goes, oh yeah, but I'd better say some hellos and goodbyes and all that stuff. It's just the admin at the end of the letter. Almost like the credits at the end of a film. Is that what we've got here today? Well, actually, although those are the details, when you look at the feel of this, you see that it's a lot more than admin going on here. I don't know if you noticed as we read it, but there's this incredible warmth and tenderness all throughout these, these end credits, if you like. What's, how does he address these guys? Well, the word beloved comes in a couple of times. Beloved brother, the beloved physician, Luke. These are people who are loved by Paul, who he's talking about here. There's a, there's a real connection from Paul, and that kind of oozes through to, to all that he's writing to. He loves these guys. I mean, just behind the scenes as well, just kind of implied here. Why is it that he says, look, Tychicus, he'll tell you about my activities. He makes a big point of this. These guys are going to tell him. They they will tell you of everything that has taken place here in verse 9. Why? Why would he do that? Well, it's obvious that the implication is the love goes both ways. These guys care about Paul. They want to hear about what's happening to him. They don't want just some apostolic line manager who comes in and goes, fix the problem, right off you go. Paul's not coming as, as the offstead of the Colossian church and just kind of fixing them out, giving them some targets and moving on. He loves them and they love him. Actually, as we look through the book, and I don't know if any of you can think of some of the things we looked at already, you'll see that this tone of mutual love and tenderness and warmth and family actually is it all over the book of Colossians. It's all over this letter from the very, very beginning. And there's a really helpful phrase Paul uses twice in this letter that I think helps us to see how we can live that family out. How do you get to a place where you're my beloved friend, I want to hear how you're doing. There's a real connection. And it's this this phrase that Paul uses, which he says that, that the church should be knit together. It happens twice in Colossians 2, and I think it fits uh, well in with this feel and kind of that we've got the end. At the end, you've got these people knit together, and he encourages the Colossians to that. 
I want to just kind of quickly look at those two passages to show you what I mean, because I think these can be really helpful for us. In Colossians 2, 1 to 2, uh, Paul writes this. He says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being, here it is, knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery. There's a lot, lot in there, some quite kind of complicated sentences but let's just work out what he's saying there without dwelling on too much of the detail verse two you, the end of it you've got this thing to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery now we're not going to go into what that exactly means all we need to say now is that sounds all right doesn't it do you reckon that sounds all right all reach all the riches good thing okay riches are good full assurance understanding knowledge god's mystery whoa this is a good thing to get so how do you get it according to paul well what he says among other things the implication seems to be that to get it you need to be knit together like if how do you get that to reach well before that is being knit together so you need to be knit together to actually reach an understanding of God. The importance of community and relationship in church actually helps us to understand God better. And of course, the phrase in here which helps us very much to know what this should look like is, is knit together in love. It's a togetherness, a closeness of relationship, a reliance on each other, and it's a really a love for each other. Okay, That's what we see modeled at the end of the book. And that's what he's encouraging the Colossians to do. Colossians 2.19, the phrase comes up again. This time Paul's talking to the false teachers who are causing trouble at Colossae. And he says, the false teachers, their main problem is that they are not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. Okay, that's his criticism of the false teacher. Again, we get the knit together phrase. Well, what, what does it mean in this setting? Well, what he's saying here is that, that the body should grow, and as Christians we should grow. There's a growth we get, and this is all the way through Colossians. It's a growth for the church generally. The church should grow, but also there's a growth in us as believers as well. Well, how do you get it? Well, very clearly in this, this bit it would say you hold fast to the head, the head being Jesus. Okay, That's how we get to grow. But there's another layer to things. How do we get the growth that Jesus offers us to like work through the body well, it's by being knit together well. The togetherness and family is not just important to make a church a nice, warm, cosy community. It's necessary, actually, according to Paul, to enable Jesus-empowered growth to come to each of us and to the church. And it comes from being knit together. The thing that we see at the end of the book has happened in Paul's close group of friends and what he wants to happen at the church. Okay? So, let's just make a comment on this. I think at the end of... Uh, this series, the end of this year, I think God really, just feel, feel this, that God would really want to underline to each of us the importance, again, of us being a family together. So it sounds kind of quite simple in some ways. But this idea of loving one another and of being knit together as a church, I think is so important, and we can never move on from this. Now, it's not radically new to hear me say this, but I just want to say it again. As Church Central, we are not called to be an organisation, we're not called to be a series of services. We're not just called to be a movement. We're called to be a family. And I think there's a responsibility on each of us to help us live out that calling. I imagine there'll be some here. I hope there'll be some, hopefully many here, who'll feel, you know what? Yeah, actually, I am knit together. When I think of church, I'm knit together into the church. I've got good, strong relationships in this community. 
Well, for you guys, I'd really urge you to think, well, great, I'm, that's, so, that's so wonderful, but please now don't think, and so I'm sorted. Done. My psychological needs for welfare are now met, and then shut up shop to other opportunities or other people. No, we're, we're always looking to knit others in. That's how it goes. I think this is the thing about church is that church, when it works well, can do something that it, it meets all of our actual needs, personal needs, can do it when it's working well. I know it doesn't always work like this for everybody, but for kind of emotional satisfaction, connection, etc., etc., to the point we go, well, therefore, I don't need to do anything else. And we all need to always be pushing against that. Say, no, no, because actually we want to knit others in. If you're feeling, look, actually, this year's been a great year of being knitted in. I feel more knitted in than ever. Brilliant. Please don't lose that. But please also keep your eyes open. Keep looking around. There'll be other people here, and I'll talk to them in a minute, who won't be feeling that sense. And actually, we knit them in. It's really important. Others who'll be coming through the doors in the next few weeks, next few months, we don't want it to just say, oh, good, church guys, actually, lots of people there in the, in the meeting. No, we want people knitted in. That's what the community is. As I implied a second ago, there'll be others here who definitely don't feel knitted in now. If you were to, if you were to be asked, well, what's, what's church central to you? You'll, you'll be, well, if I'm being honest, it's, it's a meeting I come to, really, usually on a Sunday, or maybe a couple of meetings I come to, um, and you might really benefit from that. You might really enjoy getting, to use the phrase in Colossians 2, getting nourished by the word or by the worship on a Sunday morning or in by the meetings. But you'd say, well, relationally, I'm not really knitted in. There's not a, a close connection there. I'm kind of on the edges. And uh, for some of you, uh, I'd imagine you'd be quite happy with that situation. Maybe you see no pressing need to change that situation. That's just what church is. That's what it's always been for you. And you do different things in other spheres in your life, kind of spiritual things as you call them, and maybe things that many people wouldn't say are spiritual things, but you do them in other kind of ways. Okay? Now, if that's you today, I'd want to end 2016 with a big fat challenge for you. And the challenge comes from this. I don't know how you feel about this. Is You don't appear in the New Testament of the Bible. Do you realize that? You're just not there. Christians who are not knitted into family, they're just not in the picture because that is what Christians are in the New Testament. Christianity is never meant to be worked out and was never meant to be worked out by individuals doing their Christian thing and loving Jesus on their own and with peripheral connections. No, it was always meant to be done as family together. Actually, if we miss this, Obviously, the church suffers. But if we miss this, what we don't realize enough, I think, is we suffer as well. Paul warns us in letters like this. It's a, it's a warning here that if we miss this tone to our Christian lives, the tone that actually necessarily we must be knitted in with other believers, not just kind of standing next to them or singing the same songs, but knitted in relationship-wise, well, we won't be able to fully benefit from, as Paul says, the growth which is from God. There'll be a level we can't grow as God intends us to grow. And we'll struggle to reach, however wonderful this means, all the riches of full assurance and understanding and the mystery of God's will. I encourage you, as we move into a new year, I challenge you to make it your goal in 2017 to knit yourself in more and more with Church Central. You know, I'd even say this, if you don't feel you can knit in here, find another church to knit in with, because that is what Christianity is. Paul didn't have another model here. One final group, though, I recognize would be different again. 
There'd be others of you guys who recognize, now I'm not really knitted in, but that would not be a situation that you're happy with at all. Perhaps you'd love nothing more than to be knitted in to the church, community and family, but you're not for one reason or other. You wish that when you come along, look, I wish those people would invite me to lunch. I wish look, someone would come, more people would come and talk to me. Sunday I've been here for ages. I just feel like no one notices that I'm even here. Well, as I've said, there's a responsibility, a real responsibility on all of us in that. But being knitted in is a mutual thing. Yes, we can help others be knitted in, but actually I'd encourage you, if you're in that situation, please don't wait for others to knit you in. Others are probably looking at you thinking, oh, they, they seem fine, they, they seem chatty and happy, they must be, must be okay. No, please take the first move, please take the initiative to knit yourself in. There's many ways to do that, and I'll mention one in a few minutes, um, but it probably means starting off, if this is a live issue for you, feeling, being a bit vulnerable in all this stuff. Go and talk to one of the leaders in the church, maybe a site leader, maybe a life group leader, say, look, this is how I feel, and ask for some advice on how to maybe change that. But please don't ask for advice of like, how can the church help me in this? How can the church knit me in more? I, I Honestly, I, I hope that there would still be a way to be knitted in them, but I fear that if you're waiting for others to, have to do it, it will never happen. Ask and say, look, how can I knit myself more into this community? Can you help me with this? Is it what, what things do I, are going on that I don't know about that I could get involved with? Family was very important to the Colossian church, and it's very important to us. Having said that, with that said completely, it is, as I mentioned before, a very different type of family to the one we often think of and is modelled a lot in our society. So let's move on from family. I said we're going to look at two strands. Family, let's move on to mission now, because that's clearly in this passage as well. Now, as I do that, the minute I move from family to mission... I imagine that for many of us, they would expect now, there is now a tension that's going to happen in this message. I don't know if you were here when Rich Pitt preached the other week about evangelism. Okay, good number of us. Okay, Rich, as you all know, I don't know who. How he, I think Mark was involved. Cause he said he seemed quite injured when he got to the north. So it's like I think Mark's pulled in a muscle because there was a tug of war going on here. And uh, yes, Reuben. Okay, sorry. Uh, and uh, it was like there were different things that are kind of holding tension, but we have to kind of address them each time. So who's in charge of evangelism? Well, it's God, but it's also us. And so we pull one way, oh, but it can't be too much. So we go back the other way. And I think people think of family and mission a bit like this. The two things are so different that you cannot do both at the same time. And in fact, they, they kind of eat away from each other. The more we do mission, the less family we'll be. And the more family we become, the less mission we'll do. And we know we've got to do both. So the only way to do that is to do them at different times. Okay, so maybe the church focuses for a season on we need to be family. And so by the end of that time, if that goes well, everyone's really friendly and you know, everyone's getting on brilliantly, but we're not doing anything. So the church is going, oh, wait a minute, quick fix that. Let's do a mission, mission, mission. And so then we notice, brilliant, we're doing lots of stuff, but everyone hates each other. Okay, problem, back to family again. And it's like the two things can never coexist because they're so different. There's this tension. Now, I, I must admit, I, I, I would slip into that thinking a lot now and would have done in the past more as well. So I, I think there is a sense in which in some ways that, that's there. The funny thing you find though is when you look in the Bible, there is no tension at all between those two things. Colossians, for example, Paul just seems to have family and mission together. And in fact, for Paul, the sense you get from passages like this is, I don't get it. Because if we took away the mission, 
there wouldn't be a family anymore. And actually, if you took away the family, we would no longer be on a mission. For Paul, the two things are completely complementary. Now, I, I've got to say, I experience, I've experienced this sort of thing most uh, in my life, and most kind of in, uh, profound, I think, actually outside of the church. And there was one specific incident, I remember, that has really, really changed the way I viewed friendship, family, and things. I just want to relate to you. I saw a very clear example of this working in practice. It was when I, I was a teacher. I was a teacher for seven years at a large comprehensive school in Samwell, and I was an RS teacher. And in our uh, department, we, our school, it was a big school, and we had a department which was very big for an RS department. We had nine staff in the RS department by the end, okay? Uh, and about six or seven of those would have been core, the others more part-time or doing it as a side on other roles within the school. But it was a large department, and I'll be honest with you, we were an excellent department. We, we did a great job, okay? And we were very motivated as a team, and we were very clear. We wanted to make our lessons as good as they could be. Every lesson, we didn't want to waste a lesson. We wanted our kids, every kid that came through the door, to do as well as they possibly could. And our, the guy led our team, our friend Craig, he was brilliant at motivating us towards that. And as a team, we worked for those goals. And, and we, we had each other's backs, and we supported each other. And it was a team that really worked, okay? Particularly kind of personnel change, but for the last four or five years, that would have been, kind of stable team and uh, as with most teams at work I guess it would be fair to say um, the people on the team would not have been people that would have generally hooked together in in social situations normally if we hadn't had a job to do we wouldn't have probably been friends I don't think we'd met in another setting Uh, we were there to do a job we were jobs we were people on a team we didn't have the same sense of humor or we didn't like the same sports the same music very different but united in a job, really. And you could tell this, actually, if uh, as my poor wife has done many times, and some of you will identify this, when, when we got together for a, so, a social, and uh, within five minutes, we're just talking about school. It's, <laughs> it's the threads of Gemma saying, oh, not again. That kid did this. Oh, isn't that funny? They've changed the syllabus again. Oh, it's like, oh, all right, I'm going to go and get a drink. <laughs> so, or a couple. I don't know. But I mean, in that sort of case, it was, it, it, our connection was through work. If you, do you see what I mean? Okay. So, basically, seven years of this, I got aggressively headhunted by a slightly different religious studies institution um, and, uh, and uh, left the job. And it was one formality to complete, which was the last day of term. I'd had my head out of the job for a little bit. I was thinking ahead of the next thing, going to the church here and stuff like that. And so, got, got to the last day, and I thought, right, just get through the last day. I've got my speech sorted for staff room, got my speech sorted for my department lunch. All good. Let's just get this over and done and move on to the next thing. But the day completely took me by surprise. I did not see what was coming. Because that day was, was characterized by one thing, and that was me being a blubbering mess, okay? I was that guy. <laughs> I cried all day long. And uh, I don't really cry much. In fact, my wife says that I am incapable of producing tears. She was saying, sometimes I make this <laughs> noise, but like, there's no tears. Like, you're not really crying, you're faking. No, I really am sad. But that day, there were, there were tears there was snot there was everything okay like it was a I was a blubbering mess right I got through the staff room thing was all right but then I was chatting to people turning up in rooms <laughs> and then the pinnacle of the day was the department lunch and we had the spread was all there and it was going really well it was Johnny 10 minutes to go it's your, everyone knew I was going to do the speech so here we go ready with a few jokes <laughs> just there I was just it, all I remember is snot actually that's all I remember and a few goes, thank you like, it was so weird and I got into that I thought what on earth happened there? 
what was that? I didn't see that coming. I didn't expect that to happen. But what happened was, I was mourning the loss of a family. It's a fascinating thing. But I was thinking, that can't be. These are just people I work with. This is a functional relationship. We don't go to the same gigs. We don't play the same sport. That's what friends do. We can't even hang out and not talk about our jobs. That's who friends are. Friends hang out and do nothing. Don't they? That's what friends are. And I really realized something on that day. My, my, the force of my response was actually what had happened while we were doing. We forged the deepest relationships. Actually, I've forged with any team ever. As we'd had each other's backs, as we'd seen each other at their worst, and we'd helped them try to get to their best, as we'd had difficult conversations and given feedback and fallen out and then got back together again, doing a job, we built very, very strong relations, the like of which, actually, I must say, I've not seen in another setting. That's exactly how Paul approaches family in Colossians. Can you see? It's a family that works together. As again, look at the passage, you can see it clearly here. He calls these guys his beloved brothers, but what else are they? They're his fellow workers. Epaphras, key example he uses here. Um, Epaphras says he's always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. What do we do when we pray together with people? We, we struggle with them, we fight with them, we work with them. Actually, you get to know people as you pray with them. Do you know that? Oh, I've got a prayer meeting today. Oh, I've got a lot of things to do. I suppose I could pray at home. No, there's something about praying with people that often, you know, I, I got to know that person better as we pray. It's not the main reason we do it, but that's how Epaphras works. Verse 13, I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you. These are words Paul uses of himself throughout the letter in Colossians. He's one who toils. He's one who struggles. He's one who works for his beloved brothers and sisters and with them. That's the feel here. And there's a sense of urgency right through this whole passage. At the end, it's like, this letter's important. The things I'm telling you are important. Read this letter. Send it to Laodicea. I've written another letter to Laodicea. Get it and read it. It's really important you do that. Tell Archippus. Yes, go Archippus. Archippus, I love you, mate, but you've got a job to do. Do it. There's no kind of public shaming in that instruction to Archippus in that verse. But there's a warmth to it. But there's also an urgency of, come on, guys, we've got something to do here. You could say in the early church, well, obviously, urgency was much more of an issue because if these guys don't do it, nobody is going to do it because there are, Christianity has just started. You know? So you think, well, obviously, they'd have more of a sense of these sort of things. But I ask you, is it really that much different today? I wonder if one of the reasons why God has, has allowed the church in this nation to get so shell-shocked and hit and year after year kind of struggles within the church universally in our nation is I think he wants to bring a bit of this back. Because can I ask you, in Bearwood, in Samuel, is Jesus really getting the glory he deserves? Is it right that 2,000 years after what we remember at Christmas when Jesus came and we see the massive advance of the gospel and in our nation, we see a nation carved out miles away from Bethlehem, the stories we get at Christmas, that's shaped by Jesus for years and then suddenly says, nah, don't really want anything to do with it. We're off. We're going to chase after some other lunacy, increasing lunacy. Is that okay? Are we happy to settle for what we have here? And actually, in this part of Birmingham overall, at the end of this year, it is very likely 
that the Christian community is not bigger than it was last year. It's smaller than it was last year. That's the trend in our nation. We need a sense of urgency. But for some of us, I think what we think is, Johnny, this is not what I want to hear just before Christmas, mate. Seriously, this has been a hard year. I don't want to hear about mission. I want to hear about family. I want to know how you're going to knit me into this community. I want to know how I'm going to get friends who can really support me in things and deep connections that I long for. Well, I think in answer to that, I think we need to capture something of the tone of Colossians. The two should not be in conflict. They feed each other. If we miss one, actually, we are likely to miss the other. Now, I want to be absolutely clear. Um, rest is a very good thing. This isn't a message of work, work, work until you burn out and heaven awaits. Okay, That's not a good way to approach life. Um, Christmas is great. Just so you know, I might be sounding really, those people said, you're a bit bar humbug this year, Johnny. I'm not. I love Christmas. I love hanging out with family. I think it's a great privilege. Not everyone has that privilege. And I think that's wonderful. And I think we do need friends who we can sit and do nothing with. So just so you know, I think those things are good, okay? <laughs> but actually, if we think that deep relationships are only formed in leisure activities, we have bought a lie from our culture. Deep friendships are not just made around the dinner table or on the golf course or on the pub. No, no, those times and those friends are to be valued, but actually, biblically speaking, they are the exception rather than the rule because there is a depth of relationship that happens when we go, we're working hard together. We're serving side by side. Some of that brother-in-arms, sister-in-arms mentality where we're going for it for Jesus. So if you long to be more knitted into the church, please look out for the social opportunities that we have just to hang out. We've got lots of them and we want to put those on. But at the same time, why not look to serve side by side with some of your brothers and sisters as the new year starts? Sunday morning teams could be a good place to start. What about doing mission with, with us? Ask Owen about helping out on CAP. Becky Matheson about mini kids. Helen Bell working with the elderly. Now, there's not opportunities for everyone with work as it is for you or whatever. But if you can, those are great opportunities to serve together. Let's work hard together as family. If, uh, I'd love to see uh, more and more practical help to people in the church. I know in this side, I don't know if he's here today, Mike McMillan's got a real heart for this stuff. And especially if you're a guy, but not exclusively, with an uh, Iron Men group and blokes in the church. Increasingly, Mike's heart is, yeah, we want to hang out, we want to have a curry, but why don't we just go and serve? Why don't we work together? That's how we can build relationship. Talk to him about that stuff. Look out for his rather provocative post on the, the Iron Men page. Come on, guys. <laughs> Get yourselves. There were a couple of them, weren't there, Sanji, recently? <laughs> Look out for that. We'd love to start reaching into the community around here. You know, Look out for opportunities for that stuff. It's not like saying, no, I can't do that, Johnny, because I need to get family sorted. No, no, it's family on a mission. That's how it works. So whatever we do as Christians should be done as a family. I think that's a given in the New Testament. There's no room for lone rangers, the aloof, or the isolationist in the church. We need to be knit together. It's very, very important. But at the same time, Whatever we do as Christians should be done together on a mission. We are not called to just be. We are not called just to hang out and live lives of friendly comfort or leisure. Those things have their place, but that's not our calling in life. That's not the goal. We're not those people who dream about winning the lottery and doing nothing for the rest of life as if that's fulfillment. Okay? It's not, not the case as Christians. I really I hope and pray that we enjoy our Christmas and it's a genuine break. I know that's not always the case at Christmas. We have a rest. 
My prayer would be that we have a rest so that when we come back in 2017, we can live another year serving Jesus and seeing his name glorified in our city. That's what we see in the church at Colossae, what I'd love to see in Church Central.